Everybody, welcome. Good to have uh, our guests here with us today. Welcome to everybody joining us online. As always, we hope you can join us in person very soon. Be sure to greet and meet people you don't know around here. Let's make sure everybody always feels welcome. We are continuing through John's Gospel, and that was the incomplete ninth chapter of John's Gospel, but we've actually been in this Gospel for a long time. This is a new series we're starting today, but if you want to go back and see any of the previous series messages, you can listen to the podcast, you can watch them online. This is really an amazing story of opening eyes both physically and spiritually. I don't know about you, I love watching those videos online of people like who are blind or at least partially blind getting to see clearly for the first time. You know, there's, there's ways that you can cure or heal at least partial blindness through uh, technologies and through treatments. And so, for example, you might see a video of them putting a pair of little bitty baby glasses on a little baby and uh, getting to see her mommy's face for the very first time. I'm not a, an emotional guy at all, but even those, you know, get to me. So I just wanted you to see a few more examples in this video. have a guy in this congregation, Art Zazadny, who uh, was colorblind and got some of those in chroma glasses for the first time four years ago and uh, began to finally see colors. And he said, they're so bright, they're so vivid, uh, they're, they're just so, everything's in focus and clear. He really got to see his wife's, the color of her eyes for the first time. Just amazing stuff. What a difference. Well, this man in, in John 9 had been blind since birth, so he had never seen colors. He had never seen light. He had never seen his parents' faces. He's never seen sunsets, never seen lakes. He'd never seen a written word. He had no clue about any of this. And this was the kind of person who back then really had little hope of any kind of real future. Most likely somebody like this would never get married or have a family because he couldn't support himself, let alone others. He would have to be a beggar for the rest of his life. He'd only be able to do that. And so I know things have changed a whole lot for blind people since then, but back then it was especially bleak. And so when the disciples passed this blind man, they asked the same question that we all tend to ask when either we're suffering or we see somebody with a disability of some kind, we ask why, why? Why that person? Why not somebody else? We want to know, what, is there an answer for that, for, for all the pain? I mean, we, we can point to a lot of 
possible sources for it. And we don't really know fully, but there are a couple things we do know. Number one is God never intended for there to be pain or disabilities or handicaps in this world. He created it perfect, but when Adam and Eve introduced sin into this world through their disobedience, that's what introduced suffering. And so, yes, sin is the ultimate general cause. But a second thing is we don't know why specific people suffer with specific things. We don't know what the direct cause is of those. And so people will assume all kinds of things about God and about the way the world works. Just this past week in our church, I learned of a dad's suicide. I learned of a son being killed in a car crash. I learned of a young man who possibly has cancer. I I learned from another man uh, who discovered he has a mild form of cancer. And then my 34-year-old nephew had a stroke this week. And you question why, why, why? People assume all kinds of things and the disciples did the same thing. Well, there's gotta be a reason for it. Maybe this guy did something bad to deserve it or maybe his parents did something bad and their child is paying the price for that. And you can hardly blame them for thinking that because that's just the way the world thinks. I mean, what we would call conventional wisdom. Good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. It's what Eastern religions call karma. Right? You get what you deserve, and in fact, that's the whole concept of reincarnation, is you keep coming back life after life after life to try and pay for the sins of your previous life. And so there's not a whole lot of compassion or mercy in karmic religions because you're supposed to let people suffer so they can come back in the next life a little better off. And you might even think that's a biblical idea because it says you reap what you sow. That's what Job's friends thought 2,000 years before Jesus. Job, as you know, was suffering horribly. His friends tried to convince him to repent for whatever he had done wrong to deserve all that suffering, but Job maintained his innocence. And the point is, these friends had absolutely no idea what was really going on behind the scenes, why God was allowing Job to suffer. Not because he was bad, but actually because he was good. He was testing his faith. Now, sometimes it is your fault. You do reap what you sow. You do harmful and dangerous things, and you pay the price. You you make these lifestyle choices that affect your health or affect the health of others. You know, that mom drinks or smokes, and that baby pays the price for it. So, yes, some are bad, but some are just broken. We live in a fallen, broken world, and we can't presume to know the reasons why some people can't see or walk or talk or hear or have congenital disabilities or chronic pain or cancer, whether they've been good or bad, any of that. Now, I will say, if you are suffering, I mean, it's wise to stop and consider, have I done something to bring this on to myself? Is my sin somehow contributing to it? But ultimately, God has his plan, and he works through his providence, and his permissive will allows us to go through difficult times. He, his, his will is mysterious, and that's why Jesus says in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus doesn't even deal really with the causes 
of suffering. He addresses the results and the purposes of that suffering. Whatever the cause, he allowed it to happen so that healing could take place and God could be glorified. God didn't do this to this man so that he could be healed, but he's going to use it to show his, his power, his compassion. So don't think you've got God all figured out and stuff him into that box and assume you have all the answers because you don't know. There's more going on than meets the eye, and only God knows why babies, for example, can be born with handicaps. Only God can turn those handicaps into something that can be for the good of people and for his glory. So while Jesus was on earth, he says metaphorically, you know, we're in the dark. He comes in as the light to reveal what's good and right and true. But darkness is coming when he will go through his suffering, go through his crucifixion. But while he's here, he is the light of the world and his light and glory go together and shine. So when Jesus spits on the ground... He forms it into that mud and he puts it on the man's eyes and tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I'm sorry, that's just weird. That's kind of gross that he uses spit and puts it on a guy's eyes. I mean, we all know the Lord moves in mysterious ways, but come on, what, what's with all the spit here? And I, I guess it's still going on today because we all know how magical mom spit is, right? Get a dirty face. Clean it right off. Or, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, your hair is out of place. A little dab will do you. Right? Or um, get a stain on your shirt. Better than Clorox. Get, get a little cut. Better than antibacterial gel. Right? It's, it works wonders. It's uh, especially, you know, when applied with the lips to a boo-boo. It, it does incredible things. So maybe there's some meaning behind this. I don't know, but I don't know if you've ever noticed that in the word hospital is the word spit. Coincidence? Now, Jesus usually healed by what? By touching, by speaking. But some, you know, sometimes he uses different methods. It's not always the same. In fact, there are three times he uses spit. Beyond this one, he also heals a man who's deaf by sticking his fingers in his ears, spitting, and touching his tongue. I, I don't get it. I don't know. Uh, another time, another man who's blind, he actually spits on him and touches his eyes. I don't know if it's to somehow tangibly show compassion to them, to somehow draw out their faith. It's just weird. But I'm grateful he can be weird sometimes because it works. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man goes down in that pool that's just down the hill from the temple. Why washing? Why go wash in a pool? Well, maybe there's something symbolic behind it. It has to do with cleansing. I mean, you might remember back to an Old Testament story of Naaman, the Syrian army commander, who uh, has a terrible case of skin disease, leprosy. So he humbles himself and goes to the nation of Israel and seeks out the prophet Elisha for healing. And Elisha tells him, well, go wash in the Jordan River seven times, which really ticked him off because Naaman was a great man in Syria and he expected something a little bit more lofty for him to do than to go wash in that dirty Jewish river. And he refuses at first, but then he finally humbles himself goes and washes and then comes up 
clean and healed. So our big idea is be willing to believe the truth so you can see, even if it's weird, even if it doesn't make sense, you want to see, you better believe. Look, when, when the Lord tells you to do something, just do it. Don't argue with him. Lord, it doesn't make sense. I think about how he tells us now to go down and be baptized. Go wash in the water. He said, that, that doesn't make sense. That's just weird. But that's how we unite with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. But some people want to argue with him and say, well, I don't have to get immersed to, to be saved. I can have water poured on me or I can be sprinkled. Really? Who, well, who said that? Did God say that? Show me where God said that. Well, who told you that? Well, my church, the Pope, my priest, my Protestant pastor told me. But did God? I mean, how did Jesus get baptized? He traveled all the way out to the Jordan River and went down into it and came up out of it. That's what the word means, to be immersed. Yeah, but you don't need to be baptized to be saved. Well, who says? Did God say that? No, but my church said that. My denominational creed or council said that. But did God say that? Didn't Jesus say in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved? Yeah, but, uh, but if you say you've got to be baptized to be saved, then you're a heretic. I am? I, I'm not the one who said that. I'm actually just quoting from the Bible. God said, for example, in 1 Peter 3, baptism, which corresponds to this now, what? Saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but if you say baptism saves you, then you're a baptismal regenerationist. I am? Who says? Is that what God said? God didn't say the water is saving you, did he? He's saying it's an appeal for a clean or good conscience. It's responding to what God says that makes it effective not the water itself. But come on, that's salvation by works. Who says? Did God say that? He didn't say it was a work. He said it was an appeal. We're saved by grace through faith in baptism as the place or occasion for receiving the promises of God. So don't argue with me. You got an argument with God. But it's weird to be baptized. It's just so undignified. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's hard to be dignified as you're getting all dunked and uh, coming up and your hair's a mess and you're sputtering around. Oh, there's nothing dignified about that. Pretty humbling, which is probably the point. We need to humble ourselves. Stop arguing with God. Just do what he says. He knows what he's doing. Trust and obey. Now, that blind man, he doesn't question it. He just goes and washes in the pool, and he comes up seeing for the very first time, seeing light for the first time, seeing color, seeing water, seeing faces, seeing the beautiful temple of God for the very first time. Goes home to his neighborhood, sees all of his neighbors' and family's faces for the first time. Everybody's buzzing about the blind man that's been healed. They ask him, how, he, how did it happen? He says, Jesus. So they take him to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, you know. But 
he had healed on the Sabbath. So they begin to interrogate him. How did this happen? Jesus, today, on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. Obviously, making mud and healing you is work. Therefore, Jesus is a lawbreaker. He is a sinful man. This cannot be a legitimate true healing. So some were denying flat out with a miracle right in their face that this even happened. It's, no, this is, this is a fraud. Now, we can see that today with deep fakes, you know, and CGI and all that stuff, but not right in front of your face. And others were saying, well, wait a minute. He, he really is healed. So how can Jesus be a sinful man? I mean, I don't know. Do you think this is all coincidence? Jesus keeps going around and healing people on the Sabbath? It seems to me kind of like he's picking a fight. Because I feel like he could heal on some other day. All that. He could wait a day and do all this stuff, but he always picks the Sabbath. Why? Do you think it's maybe to expose the legalism, the religious hypocrisy of their leaders? Jesus was loving. He was, he was always good. He was compassionate. But don't get this picture in your mind that Jesus was this sweet, nice guy who was a pushover. He liked to pick a fight when it was worth, worth fighting for. Jesus was fulfilling the true purpose of the Sabbath. Resting on that day of worship wasn't meant to stop you from caring about people's problems or, or helping them fix their pain. God made the Sabbath for man. And so uh, Jesus is, is saying, look, not only am I fulfilling the Sabbath, but there's going to come a time after he dies and rises again where the Sabbath day will no longer apply to us. We're no longer under the rules and regulations of the covenant that God had with the Jewish people. We're now living under the new covenant when we're looking forward to our true Sabbath, which is to come in heaven. That's our time of rest, and we're really looking forward to that. But for now, the Pharisees want to use this minor infraction of their own traditional rules to indict Jesus, to discredit him by discrediting the miracle, right? So they, here they should have been praising God for this miracle, but instead they're prosecuting the guy who did it. They're looking for evidence for him to bring him to, to the courtroom and to uh, investigate further in verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, well, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And that's a question that everybody has to answer for themselves. Who do you say Jesus is? And everything rests on that answer. Who do you say that he is? Maybe you're like this blind man. And at this point, he's not really sure who Jesus is. Remember, he'd never even seen him yet. And probably the greatest thing that he could think to call him was a prophet, a spokesman sent by God. Some of the great prophets could perform miracles like Moses and Elijah and Elisha. He must be. But again, they don't believe this man that you were really born blind. So they call in his parents as witnesses in this trial to confirm it. And the parents know they're in trouble. If they confirm that Jesus is a prophet or even more so that he's the Messiah because that's going to get them kicked out of the synagogue which was not only the Jewish place of worship it's not like just getting kicked out of church but it's the whole center of Jewish life and community it was a big deal and so they're afraid have you ever been there where you're you, I think that's why a lot of people don't stand up for Jesus they're more afraid of man than they are of God you ever been afraid to take a stand? So they bring this formerly blind man back in for a second interrogation because the parents don't want to answer, 
right? They're being very evasive. Well, yeah, yeah, he's our son. He was blind, but we don't know how this happened. Ask him. All right, bring him back in. But these judges, these supposed objective judges are already prejudiced. They've already convicted. They've already said he's a sinner. And so they put the man under oath this time. And they say, come on, just tell the truth. What really happened? Who is this man? And the guy says, well, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that an awesome testimony? I don't know. See, you don't have to have a Bible scholar education to give your testimony. You just tell what Jesus has done for you. I don't have all the answers. I haven't studied all the Bible from cover to cover, but I do know this. I put my faith in Jesus and he's changed my life. He's forgiven me. He's helped me live better and different. And he's given me a place to go after I die that's gonna be awesome and he can do that for you too. You've got that kind of testimony to share. And yet they still go on. They're going even harder after him now because they've been exposed, they've been embarrassed. So they badger him and bully him even more and now you can hear the sarcasm in the man's voice. He has been pushed over the line at this point and he says, do you also wanna become his disciples? <laughs> See, he says no longer, like, I don't know who he is anymore. He's like, I'm a disciple now. You wanna be his disciple too? The more they bully him, the more they bully us, the stronger and bolder we'll get. We're going to testify who Jesus is. And they said, well, we're disciples of Moses. We know Mo God spoke through Moses. We don't even know where this Jesus guy came from. And this new disciple takes him down another peg. Right? He goes, hmm, uh, God doesn't listen to sinners. And yet Jesus healed me. He opened my eyes. We know God listens to those who listen to him and do his will, which, by the way, is true. Right? God hears everyone, but unless you're seeking him, he's not attentive to your prayer. Didn't know if you knew that. Anybody can call out to him for salvation, but if you're not right with God, don't expect him to answer all your prayers. You don't have that promise. Even as a disciple, are you seeking him? Are you praying with the right motives? Are you praying according to his will? Because Isaiah said, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So even the prophecies in Isaiah pointed to this Messiah who would open the eyes of the blind, which had never been done before in history, not even in scripture. There was not one case of it. Jesus is the only one who has done this. And so... This is a big deal, and, he, and the guy just throws it right back at them. Who's, who's the real sinner here? Who's really in the wrong here? And that did not sit well with them at all. Unable to refute the evidence, they resort again to reviling the witness and saying, you have been sinful since birth. Which, by the way, they're wrong on that too. Because we are not born sinful from birth. We are not born guilty just for being born, you know, inheriting our parents' sin that, so that we're under condemnation. I don't believe that. You might, and that's fine. We'll all end up in heaven together. But 
No, that's the Pharisees' kind of theology here. Sin is something you do purposely, defiantly, in disobedience to God. So Jesus hears about it. He finds the man and he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is another divine messianic title. And again, the man wants to find, he's never seen Jesus before until this very moment. And he wants to make sure that Jesus isn't just another prophet like pointing the way to the Messiah like John the Baptist did. No, Jesus says, no, it's, it's me. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Belief leads to worship. This is not just another man. Prophets and apostles and angels all turned down worship, but Jesus accepted it because he is God. He then turns this miracle into a short sermon about spiritual blindness. He reveals himself as the true judge that he came to separate those who can see from those who cannot. And it's a, it's a paradox. It's like if you were born blind, if you were blind, then at least you'd have an excuse for not seeing what's right in front of you. But because you're claiming that you can see, you're guilty because you should know better. You're rejecting me when the evidence is staring you right in the face. So how blind can you actually be? Elsewhere, Jesus had called them blind leaders of the blind. They didn't even realize. If they had realized their blindness, they would have seen the light of Jesus. They would have repented of their sins. Instead, they, in their arrogance, they boast about how well they can see, not even aware of the terrible state that they're in. So there are none so blind as those who will not see Willful blindness is choosing to see only what you want to see. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. But for those who reject him as the light, as the Messiah, there is judgment day coming. Jesus is the ground for judgment. It's all about where you stand with him. Who do you say that he is? The Pharisees could have trusted Jesus and been saved, but instead they will die in their sins. So be willing to see the truth, to, to believe the truth so that you can see. It's about being willing to. Do you want to or do you not want to? And look, we've all got blind spots. None of us is perfect. None of us sees everything. None of us has all the answers. But we better be open and willing to remain in the light instead of remain in the dark. And if you don't know about that at this point, then take a step into the light this week. Would you read the Gospel of John for yourself? Would you examine the evidence for Jesus in God's Word? Open the Bible this week and check it out because I want you to be able to say, I believe. Look, we're, we're all beggars. None of us is worthy. None of us is deserving. We're all like that blind man. We're all like the... the the, the old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So what's the best thing you can do this week? Be prepared to face God, to stand before him face to face. People die every day, right? You know that you're going to die physically one day too unless Jesus returns first. And hell is a miserable place to be. We can't even begin to imagine how awful it is. I mean, do you believe that heaven is forever? If you do, then why wouldn't you believe hell is forever? And we can't even grasp 
how long that is. I mean, go out and find a tree and start counting the leaves on that tree. Every leaf represents a million years. And once you've counted every leaf on that tree, go to the next tree and count every leaf on it. And then count every leaf on every tree in the world. And you still haven't begun to touch how long eternity is. So the best thing you can do with the time that you have is to make sure that you're going to heaven and not hell. What do you say about him? Do you believe he's the son of man, the son of God, the Savior? If so, would you repent today? Would you be baptized into him? We're ready for you. It's going to look weird, but we've got towels and robes and clothes and all you need. Be weird for a few minutes today so you know where you're going, so that you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. See us after the service. Actually, we're going to have some music playing in a few minutes here. There's always a couple people down here at the front. Don't hesitate. Come down and talk to them now or meet us out in the lobby afterward or, or up here afterward. They're still here to answer your questions, to pray with you. If you'd rather text or email us, we'll get back to you right away so that you can make that decision to follow Christ or we can help you. Maybe it's just to come back next week. We continue on. John chapter 10, we're going to talk about how Jesus gives abundant life. So you're going to want to be here for that. Bring a friend. Share your testimony. If they can't come on Sunday morning, tell them about Sunday night. Sunday night simple at 6.30. But during these next few moments of quiet time, it's another way to respond. If you're a believer in Christ, we share in communion every week. You, you get the bread and the cup to remind us of his broken body and his shed blood. If you're not a believer yet, use this quiet time to think and pray and reflect but you know, I already quoted one hymn, may as well go all the way and quote another old hymn that I used to sing as a kid. Maybe you, you might remember it too. It was written over 300 years ago by Isaac Watts. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. That's what this is about. Not a happiness that's depending on whether you can see physically or not or how well your body feels or not or what's going on at your job or what's going on in the world and politics. And this is about a happiness, a joy of having a transformed heart, the peace of knowing where you're going. And I'm so grateful that my sins have already been judged at the cross so they, they will not be judged one day at the throne. Let's pray together about that. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus to be the Savior. I want to pray for those who are going through hardships, God, that they would experience your mercy and your power and healing and deliverance. And Father, help us not to focus so much on the why, but on the purpose and on the results that it can accomplish. That you let those disabilities, all those deficiencies, uh, draw us closer to you and, and glorify you and that we'd grow in our faith and it would deepen our worship. And if there's not healing, then, then God help us to be patient and to be at peace and to keep persevering. We're, we're so grateful for your healings, whether they're supernatural and instantaneous or you're just providentially working through the natural, gradually, even slowly. Strengthen us to trust and obey open eyes to the truth, soften hearts, enlighten minds, 
Lord, I pray that there would be people today who would be baptized, saved, that they would live forever. God, thank you for your grace instead of karma. We believe in you. We worship you. We want to go all in. In Jesus' name, amen. Use this time quietly or come to the front.